Hello, and welcome to the second episode of the Community Driven Serverless Podcast. I am Cassandra Perch, and um, I have with me Steve and Ben, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves shortly. And uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about languages and serverless and some fun discussions that have been going around about that. Uh, Steve, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, my name is Steve Faulkner. I'm the Director of Engineering at uh, Bustle. Uh, where I um, kind of led our transition to uh, serverless, where our entire website, um, over 55 million unique visitors a month, is served through AWS Lambda and API Gateway. And I'm also the creator of Shep, which is an open source framework for building and deploying Lambda applications with Node.js. And Ben? I'm Ben Kehoe. I'm a cloud robotics research scientist at iRobot. And uh, I'm responsible for saying that uh, I, th I think Node is the wrong runtime for serverless. Okay, so let's let's give a little bit of background for those who have not yeah. heard about this discussion. So at ServerlessConf Austin, Ben gave a talk about about what he does, and uh, he mentioned that ex exactly what he mentioned there, just there that um, Node is not the right runtime for serverless. And he tweeted about it, and it, it it generated a little bit of buzz on Twitter. And so that's what we're here today to talk about is whether Node is Node is the right runtime or not, or um, even just kind of discuss languages and runtimes in general around serverless. So um, I'll let y'all get started, and I'll chime in when necessary. <laughs> So just to uh, to clarify, my my talk was about what I think is missing uh, from serverless platforms that that are in the wild today, and a big uh, problem that I see is that um, there's a lack of support for asynchronous infrastructure components. And to sort of illustrate that and to be purposefully inflammatory, um, I talked about how you know JavaScript. And Node have been, you know, really beneficial in server-based architectures because the asynchronous nature of JavaScript, you know, starting with callbacks, moving to promises and futures, and async await, all of that stuff, is really useful when you're running a server because that means you can handle more requests on a given server because they're not, it, the server knows when it's not doing anything when it's waiting. When you're running, say, Lambda functions, your Lambda function should, in general, uh, and this is, I guess, an opinion uh, that we can that we can debate, is that your Lambda function should generally be single-threaded, single-task. Like they should do one thing, um, and in that situation, async doesn't actually help you that much, and actually introduces complexity into your into your code that you don't really need. Now, of course, everyone. Everyone has, you know, some sort of big fan out Lambda somewhere in their architecture, and that really benefits from asynchronous I/O, et cetera, et cetera. But in general, I think um, the benefits that we got, a lot of the benefits we got from Node.js in the in the server world, don't actually apply once we're uh, moving to serverless. That being said, uh, it is still useful as the same language that you're using in your front end and you know all sorts of other things. Uh, but really, it was it was just sort of a red herring to move on to talk about how that asynchronous nature that we had in our code on our servers really needs to move into our infrastructures so that we're not making synchronous calls between Lambda functions all over the place. 
Okay. So I can go. I can go ahead and and respond. Um, mm-hmm. So I was not at serverless comp, so I couldn't charge the stage. And, and yeah. um, but but I have that Ben, and and I I didn't really. I actually was not as upset. I think as some people, I I, I knew what he was going for with that slide, and so I I, I didn't initially have much to say about it. Um, so I think uh, I think for the reasons that. And just talked about it is actually why I think Node is a good choice for serverless. Um, so I don't think we're going to disagree too much because I think the embrace of async by Node is actually something that helps in the transition. Um, you know, I, I I do think Ben's right in, in kind of like the theoretically perfect world when everything is serverless and it's split up into all these nice little async tasks. Um, you know, you don't get a lot of benefit out of the uh, the async nature of Node, but um, you know, I would I would counter that kind of in the in the world where people are transitioning their applications to serverless. I think Node is awesome because uh, the the reality is much more complex. You have a lot of applications that can't split things up uh, as as quickly or as as architect things uh, you know perfectly for serverless as they want. And so I think Node makes a lot of sense there because it makes it easy to move the boundaries of where your async is happening. So if it's happening in code in Node, um, just because of how Node works and the community standards around things, it's really embraces the asynchronous nature of Node or, uh, of how programming should work. And as soon as you want to split something out into its own Lambda function, it makes it very easy to do that. Um, so that's kind of where where I, I see Node as being a, a really prime target for serverless right now, actually. Do you think that that would keep people, so they, they've adopted it, they've built little web servers inside their Lambdas. Do you think that would keep them from adopting a more serverless native mindset? I know uh, Paul Johnston has talked about that, you know, getting you know, less experienced coders has been of benefit to him because they come with less preconceived notions of how it should all work. Yeah, I think that I think there's definitely a balance there. Um, I, I I see what you're saying about kind of not not having serverless first in in the mind of your architecture. I think that that's still a battle we're just we're just kind of fighting with everybody. It's so, so new, and we're still figuring out like the best practices. That um, whatever we think is you know the best way to do things today may not be the best way to do things tomorrow. So I'd rather I'd rather have somebody that kind of just understands the concepts of you know asynchronous coding already, uh, and and I think adapting those patterns into Lambda, I think is pretty easy. Um, you know that said, it's it, when you get people who who want to do something a certain way, that's always tough to to make them unlearn some certain patterns. Um, yeah. Um, um, and do you see people? To be fair, oh, to, uh, to, to kind of chime in on that point, uh, th- that's kind of the funny thing about programmers and engineers. So if they want to do something in one way, they're going to find a way to do it. And, and yeah. Steve kind of mentioned that at the end of his, his uh, counter argument. I, I don't think it'll take away from the idea of native serverless modules or modules in other languages because Let's face it. There are there are diehard fans of every single language out there, and the the languages that suit um, Ben's idea of a serverless task and Steve's idea of a serverless task and my idea of a serverless task, uh, all of them are eventually going to be adapted onto the serverless platform, whether they're 
whether they're really well suited for it or not well suited for it at all, depending on each particular programmer. So I don't, I don't think Node being the initial language is really going to stop the proliferation of other languages. I think it's just the one we landed on to start with. Uh, I do, I don't think it'll, I don't think it'll be Node.js alone forever. Um, I mean, for now, right now already, we've got multiple languages being able to run on a AWS. And I think, I think we'll see can, more and more languages be supported over time. So yeah, I, I don't think run, it'll be a Node.js hegemony for, for all time, at least to be fair. You can run batch scripts on Azure Functions, which I think is go. absolute madness. <laughs> Somebody wants to do it. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, sure it's, I'm sure it's big business. So yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, like I'm saying, I don't, I don't think we'll end up with a Node.js hegemony to kind of, to kind of chime in on that part. So this is actually an area, you know, in kind of how you architect things. I'd like to see the tooling get better. Um, and I think we're just kind of seeing the first generation of, of serverless frameworks and Node already, I believe has a, a pretty, um, on the front end has a, uh, is working pretty far out of where we should be. So the, the front end with Webpack is able to split up, you know, all of your code and, and kind of modularize it and lazy load stuff. I would like to see that kind of stuff happen on the back end as well. Um, you know, obviously it can't be perfect, but it would be great to have a node framework that automatically splits up your code into different Lambda functions, right? Uh, is able to somewhat intelligently try to say, well, okay, you're, you're going to load like four megs of code over here. Maybe that should belong in a different function. Um, and you know, return something asynchronously uh, to something else in the pipeline. Uh, as as far as how that would actually look, I, I don't even have the the first clue of of what that framework would look like. But I, I hope one day it arrives. Yeah, I think that would be a really interesting, right? That that you're mapping, you're writing just in code, and that's getting mapped into infrastructure as sort of the platform sees fit where your platform is sort of a compiler at that point, right? Yeah, exactly, right. I mean, I think it's it kind of comes back to, to merging code as code and code as infrastructure, right? I'd, I'd like to not even think of them as separate things necessarily. I want them all just to be one thing. And then the, the platform should be intelligent enough to at least try to send me in the right direction. Yeah, I, I feel like at, at a certain point, though, you're always going to run up against... Um, having more control over what's happening and that, um, you know, if you're writing, the more code you're writing separated from sort of configuration. So like, how does, I, I feel like onboarding somebody to configuration is easier than onboarding somebody to code. You know, if you're looking at Terraform or CloudFormation or something. Um, that's seeing how that stitches together in, in a more sort of declarative manner versus looking at, you know, sort of more imperative code um, is always going to be easier to get people oriented to your system. Yep. I, I mean, I definitely agree with that. Um, so, you know, for reference here, like Shep, the, the framework I created doesn't use CloudFormation or Terraform at all. It just talks to the right. AWS yes. APIs directly. Yep. I've, I've kind of publicly not been a big fan of, of CloudFormation. And... I don't. I don't think it's a bad tool. Um, you know, I've used it for for things where I think it makes sense. But I, I think it's a balance between the two, right? Like, uh, you know, I, I, there's all these tools that exist on top of cloud formation in order for people to actually use them the way they want to use them, which is, you know, as a scriptable, codable thing rather than just well, it's a bunch of config files. 
Um, we are uh, we are heavy users of CloudFormation and CloudFormation custom resources backed by Lambdas, uh, which gives us we we looked at you know the options of um, Chef Puppet Terraform uh, when we were setting up our tooling, and we sort of ended up going with that having this cloud-side service handling it was easier than either, you know, something like Terraform that takes a more developer machine-oriented view of it, where the developer's machine is pushing out the configuration changes, or having sort of a server-based solution. Um, and we found that that's actually pretty effective, that we can make custom resources as long as it has a create, update, delete lifecycle. Um, you can pretty easily make those custom resources to handle what you need to handle. I mean, I think we're in agreement about the fact that, you know, the the state of the of the system should be kind of handled by the the system itself, right? And so that's kind of what CloudFormation does, as well as just inspecting, you know, the currently deployed state in general. That's um, I would use CloudFormation over Terraform as well, um, just because Terraform kind of maintains these state files and, and relies on you kind of having that tracked in another place. And I don't think that's such a good idea. Yeah. So we, we've we've tangented into the the cloud formation <laughs> versus a versus API debate, um, but you know it's it's something that I I I don't want to say I'm I'm like head in the sand about I I, I definitely when SAM came out, uh, which is the the kind of serverless extension to cloud formation, I very strongly considered making that the deployment method of Shep. Um, you know, we played around with it internally and and tried to see if that was going to make sense. We ended up choosing not to, but I I still have thoughts that maybe that would be the right way to go eventually. I think their their idea, right, the up at the top of your CloudFormation file when you're using SAM is like transform is AWS SAM, right? And making that be able to be a Lambda ARN, I think would be incredibly powerful because the tooling that we've built up and that I see other people building up are essentially CloudFormation transformers. Right, yeah. they just do it on the local side rather than the cloud side. And when you can put it on the cloud side, you can have it sort of versioned across your organization and and have it all work in a more uniform way. Yeah, and, and I think that that's that's probably a, a a need that you feel more acutely than we do. You know, so reference bustle is I think only fifteen people um, or engineers now. We have over a lot more people that work at bustle, but um, you know, our team is not. Crazy big. Uh, we're we're lucky in that we've we've been able to kind of keep it small and, and keep very focused. I think if we had more people, I could definitely see some of the you know pain points that you've you've talked about being felt very much more acutely. Mm. So uh, relevant to that, how do you think the tooling uh, that exists or lack thereof kind of either kind of either enforces or tears down the idea of Node.js as a runtime for serverless. Like, like, because of the tooling that we have and because of the way that we can monitor Node.js or in the, some of the ways we can't monitor Node.js, like, what what possibilities, like, do we have there in terms of, I guess, I, I guess that's the way I'm putting it is, uh, does the tooling we have or the tooling we want to have either strengthen or weaken the idea of Node.js as a serverless runtime? I think that's a, a a very good point that you know the people who are building tools 
for monitoring, for analysis, for security, they're all building them for node first, right? Everyone has a, has a node and they've got Python in the works and I, I don't hear anybody talking about Java, um, which is gonna make a big impact, right? If you're you know, an organization and you want to know what your Lambda functions are doing, you know, and everyone's got something that works for Node, you're probably not gonna want to stray too far away from writing in that. That brings a lot of benefits with it. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. I mean, it's it it's Node, it's Node's game right now, it seems like in the tooling space. Um, I, I hope I'm not too biased in that occasionally I do go to conferences that are not like Node conferences, they'll be, you know, DevOps conferences and or you know .NET conferences and it is amazing how many people are still there just saying oh yeah we started writing Node because that's what stuff was available um, in terms of just resources and and blog posts and what people are building. Um, I think even uh, even the fact that you know Apex, which is kind of one of my other frameworks that I really like. Uh, is written in Go, but still seems to be primarily used with Node. At least when I when I talk to people about it, is is interesting. Um, I think that the the frameworks will get better. Um, I, I do worry about some of the frameworks that are trying to support multiple runtimes and if they're going to really be able to deliver on the best experience. Uh, personally, like there are things with Node like Webpack that. You know, Shep embraces and says, "You should do this. This is the best way to, you know, deploy something to Lambda." So by being node only, I think we can kind of deliver a better experience. So, um, you know, I think Zappa with with Python is in that that realm. Um, you know, so I, I I do worry by using a framework that kind of tries to support all the different runtimes. You you might not be kind of getting the best available thing for your specific runtime. And that could be true, but at the same time, it, it seems like it should be able to be abstracted out, right? That the, that the deployment tool shouldn't, should probably not need to understand the code that is being deployed. And so it needs some packaging tool, but once it's turned into a zip file on S3, right, that's a separate process from wiring the Lambda functions all together. Yeah, it's it's definitely true. Like, the, the, I guess there's two steps, right? There's there's really the step of wiring your Lambda function together and then deploying individual Lambda functions, right? Um, I think a lot of the, the frameworks and tooling kind of mucks all that together right now um, versus, you know, we, we probably would benefit from having like a, a separate framework for orchestrating Lambda functions, right? So this function should talk to this SNS queue, which should then dump into this S3 bucket, which should trigger this Kinesis stream and that kind of thing. Right. Um, you know, I mean, it I seems mean, like cloud formation. That that is what cloud formation <laughs> formation is, you know. But in, in my opinion, a, a little bit intense in its overhead for orchestrating that's, those that's, kinds of things. That's certainly true. <laughs> so. Plus, uh, we haven't even when you're talking about that level of tooling, we haven't even gotten into debugging and monitoring. Um, those would really kind of split out over the different runtimes, that, uh, depending really on true. how you do your monitoring and your debugging. Um, that would really kind of be something that you would need to specialize in, either watching, uh, monitoring, or debugging Node Lambda processes, or Python, or Java, or whatever is running. 
especially when you get into um, pre-compiled binaries that are running on a Lambda function. Um, those are really tough to monitor. So that's really where it's the, the tooling question starts to get tricky, is when we've got parts of the, the tool chain that are different no matter what runtime you're running. Um, that does add an, an element of complexity to the, the whole discussion on that. Yeah, and I think it was really interesting. Uh, Erica Windish was saying that they, that IO Pipes was having success with keeping a TCP connection alive over multiple invocations of a Lambda, um, which they're using uh, because, right, for their monitoring, they're making a call at the beginning and at the end of the function, and you don't want to have to do the TLS setup every time. Right. And so they they found that you know with with Node at least they're able to keep that open. And so again, if if that's not possible with other languages, that's going to be a huge performance advantage to monitoring through there. I don't. Yeah, I don't have. Uh, that that's actually why I, I keep that thought in the back of my head. Is uh, uh, when we were uh, I work for IO Pipe as well. Yep. So <laughs> so we think about that problem on a regular basis. Is how are we going to monitor serverless functions when serverless functions doesn't just mean Node. It means Node and and Python and Java and, and any language that that people want to run. Yeah. And I, I think. think yeah. Well, ahead. I think Amazon, you know, is kind of slowly improving what they're doing here. You know, I think that with X-Ray was a, a kind of big deal. And, um, you know, it's it definitely provides like another thing in this space for being able to kind of monitor functions uh, in a more generic way, right? So you're just, you know, kind of speaking to the X-Ray, um, you know, process and you're not having to, you know, that's, that's internal to your function. You're not really having to worry about what kind of things it understands. Um, I also think though that that if they ever get a teardown function, that will probably some or a teardown like hook that functions can can go into. That'll be something that will improve like this space tremendously, right? Some mm. way for functions to fire off like a last request that says, "Hey, you know, here's all the logs I took, or here's all the monitoring data that I had." Um, if you could even write that in a different language than your actual Lambda function, that would be pretty cool because maybe somebody will just make a really good one that everybody can use, and then nobody needs to figure out like, uh, you know, how to write that function. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm hoping that that's in the pipeline. Right. Steve, what do you do for uh, cloud-side debugging? Do you just look at logs? Uh, yeah, or do pretty you much. <laughs> uh, it's, it's really like we, we've used IO pipe um, and we've we used them for some things. Um, we've played with Honeycomb as well, uh, which I, I have really high hopes for. I think that their kind of philosophy around, you know, logging and monitoring is great. And I think Charity really like gets what serverless is trying to get at. Um, that said, uh, we we still just look at logs a lot, and and I don't like that, and it's not ideal. But um, you know, we we added like uh, one of the first things we added at the beginning of last year was a, a streaming logs command to Shep, so you can just kind of stream logs for a function, and that's a common way we'll do stuff to debug or try to figure out what's going on. Uh, I. I, like I said, I, I still wish there was like a really, really awesome solution, but uh, it's, I think everybody's still trying to figure it out a little bit. Yeah. Do you think I, that I, that progress is stymied by the li limit to one runtime? Like, do you think there are there are tools developers out there or developers out there who want to make tooling better that are kind of discouraged by the idea that, or I don't, I don't know Node's runtime, or uh, don't want to deal with Node's runtime, like? Opinions can come into play on that one. Um, 
Do either of y'all think that that might be part of the issue? Is this seeming but not entire hegemony around Node.js runtime being the runtime for, for Lambda functions or serverless functions? I think it probably... Think... Sorry, you can go, Ben. Oh, I was, I was going to say that I don't feel like I have a good uh, handle on that. So... I, go, go ahead. Uh, I, I think it probably, you're probably right that it, it hurts, right? Like I think that uh, having Node be the, the primary thing and everybody's kind of trying to figure out how to do it the Node way, which may or may not intersect with, you know, the Java way or the Python way or the, you know, C-sharp way. And so it, it does seem like that that Node first there is maybe not everybody's kind of like iterating within this little thing and and really there needs to be some kind of like full featured bigger solution um and i i don't know what amazon's planning but i i something that is kind of a little more um generic in terms of like x-ray is a good example of of something that's along these lines right something that just says well here's this service that exists in the lambda environment and you can just talk to it and then send data that way um i think is, is super helpful we've we've so far not been able to get x-ray to work like super well it's it works okay um but you know doing some more advanced metadata and custom tracing and stuff like that has, has so far uh, eluded us but we haven't been able to spend a ton of time on it yet yeah yeah I it might like... also go back to another another a problem we we talked about in the last episode uh someone called it both sides of the breakfast plate which is a, <laughs> a chicken and the egg style problem as uh no one wants to use it without the tooling, but the tooling isn't there until people use it. And so, I think I think that might be the the, the same problem for for different runtimes in different languages. Is is uh, no one wants to put their enterprise architecture on on serverless if it doesn't support their runtime and it doesn't have the tooling for the runtime. But no one wants to build the tooling for a runtime until a bunch of people are using it. So I, I think I think we're getting to that point as well where uh, none of the tooling exists and it's not going to until we get enterprise level stuff on that on that runtime. So I have a question for Ben. To... We've, we've talked oh, about why ahead. Node doesn't or, or, or isn't, in, in your opinion and, and with some of your evidence, isn't a good runtime for serverless. What would be your ideal runtime for serverless? It doesn't have to be something that exists. I'd just kind of like to hear your description of an ideal <laughs> runtime for serverless. Sure. I, I mean, I think, I think both... Python and Go fit well, uh, Python 3 at least, where they're sort of, you know, uh, they provide async facilities when, if you need them, but you can also write them in a very direct synchronous way, uh, which allows you to not have to interface with that async complexity straight off. I, okay. I would agree. I, I'd agree about Go, right? Like, I think... I'm not a huge fan of Go as as a language. I think it's okay, but I think as a as a serverless runtime, you know, the I think it has a lot of benefits, and it's very. I mean, you want these like very performant single task languages. I think it it's pretty good at that. Um, I, I think any any runtime just needs some sort of. I like I like I had said before. I think any any kind of runtime would really benefit from having an actual concept of what a lambda is in code so that you could you know write your uh 
write your functions in a way that seems to be one big monolith, and then it you know is kind of able to intelligently split them up. It makes me long for the days I wrote Ruby and could you know write these really complex DSLs very easily, right? So um, you know, I think <laughs> something. I, I feel confident that I could maybe make something work there, you know, uh, but not so much with Node. Well, if you could if you could write the the functions inline into CloudFormation, it would look sort of like how React works now, right? Yeah. Good point. It all together. Another well, language I think might fit that description would be Rust. Um, Rust is really starting to take off in popularity, um, especially among Node developers. Uh, NPM announced recently that they they actually have a, a decent chunk of, of NPM's uh, infrastructure written in Rust. And for similar reasons, it, it allows you to deal with async, but it, it also kind of gets out of your way if you don't need async. I think that language also would, would make an interesting consideration. I'm all for more language agnostic um, solutions in uh, the serverless either platform or tooling or whatever we're talking about. Um, because basically the way, the way I feel is that we should be able to to write our code and whatever works for our project. Because like like you mentioned at the beginning, if you're running your Lambdas as web servers, Node is great for that. But there are going to be situations where people have Lambdas that aren't for that. And so it'll be nice when we've kind of broken up that, that hegemony and made it more language agnostic. So. It, it's definitely probably worth mentioning that, you know, like that's that's probably a primary difference of a, you know, kind of perspective from from Ben and I like Ben, maybe you can comment specifically, but most of all of Bustle's usage of no or of Lambda is with actual web requests. So uh, almost all of our web requests go through Lambda and that's our primary use case. Uh, yeah, and I mean, we have a very IoT focused use case, right? We're supporting our, our robots and the apps that connect to them. Um, and so our traffic is very varied, um, and we're a Python shop. But I think I think the idea that maybe exposing some of some hooks into the container. Um, I know Steve, you mentioned sort of that idea of a shutdown hook, and what you're saying, Cassandra, about um, having you know language agnostic features where more of the platform level piece is is exposed, so that tool builders like IO Pipes. Um, could uh, could build tooling that fits with whatever people are working on would be of huge benefit to the community. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think that that's an area where you know we're, we're hopefully AWS is going to be able to make some improvements. Um, I think CloudFormation is part of that, right? You know, CloudFormation is a a language ag agnostic thing. So yeah. I think um, you know if if they can, you know, make that a little bit easier, a bit more friendly to use for people, I think that that would make me pretty happy. Yeah, I mean, look how long it took them to have YAML support. Yeah, yeah. So, um, slowly, slowly, but hopefully, surely, <laughs> moving in the right direction. Cool. Um, any other points y'all want to discuss on runtimes or? Um, yeah. I. Uh, there was I can talk that about, I had. Oh, please, I, please do. I'll try and remember the thing that I was. I mean, to it. kind of circle back to our discussion of you know what would be the ideal runtime. I think um, a typed language is is actually uh, pretty critical. So um, I we're we're kind of looking at moving stuff over to TypeScript, and part of that is you know you have these incoming events in your lambdas that 
can take so many different forms, right? But they're very known quantities, right? You you know what an SNS record looks like, or you know you know what a Kinesis record looks like, and so having a framework and tooling that supports all that in a typed way, you know, first class, I think it has a lot of benefit, um, especially in wiring up the functions and knowing that they're going to kind of all work together and that you're not going to uh, break something when you actually deploy it to production. So, uh, you know, for, for Node, maybe TypeScript will support that. Um, you know, Rust has, has types, which is exciting, and, and you know, Go has some types, but not generics. Um, I don't know. I, I'm not really sure what the best solution is there. Um, but I, I think types can actually provide a lot of benefit for the types of problems people have when wiring a bunch of Lambda functions together to other services. Yeah, and the SDKs would, for those languages, then bring a lot of that typing with them, which yeah. is also helpful. You don't get slowed down in the, in, uh, bogged down in, in those issues. Yep. Um, yeah, like I, I actually have not written any Lambda code in Java, but you know it would be interesting if uh, you know we got a Java person to to comment on you know what kind of if if they feel that those those are effectively solving some of the problems you know that I've at least I've run into like in these dynamic languages. We'll have to look into that. Yeah. Uh, ben, any other point uh, thoughts on on runtimes in serverless? Um, I think you know just to just to defend myself one more time. Uh, I think that you know there 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 are many factors that go into choosing a runtime, and if you're you know if you're a uh, manager who's building up a team from scratch, I think there are you know certain choices that you could make that I think would are beneficial around serverless. But basically, everything else outweighs that, right? You know, the experience of your team, um, if you're transitioning from existing code, whether you have a web front end that's also JavaScript, you know, all these pieces are fundamentally the, the drivers for what's going to make your team most productive, uh, separate from abstract questions of what is, what is the, you know, platonic ideal. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, to circle back to what I said before, I think Ben's right. You know, if you're if you're starting completely from scratch and you have choices, I think that you know, uh, you know, there's there's other choices besides Node, but I think you know part of the reason Node is kind of the leading runtime at the moment is partially because it it is if you're running Node, you're poised to go serverless, right? You've already kind of thought about uh, asynchronous operations in a way that makes it easy for you to start moving your stuff into Lambda and architecting your stuff in a way that you know is asynchronous. Well, um, let's move on to if there's uh, anything cool you've seen in the serverless world in general. We can kind of open up the topic into more more general stuff. If there's anything cool you've seen recently in the serverless world uh, going on, yeah, we can kind of talk about things like that. Uh, to kind of go back to CloudFormation, um, I I played a little bit with uh, Fugue. It's um, a Haskell uh, Esque thing for building and, and deploying uh, kind of your stack into AWS. Um, so it's like a, a specialized DSL. Uh, I'm, I'm not a, well, I wasn't a huge fan after playing with it, but I, I think it's really cool to see other people like playing in this space um, and trying to figure out, you know, more 
you know, better ways of how we're going to actually deploy our infrastructure into the cloud. Uh, yeah, I think uh, all of the cool stuff I've seen recently happened at ServerlessConf, which was covered in, you know, recaps uh, in the last episode, I think. Uh, although I had I had a interesting conversation recently with some folks about security, which I feel like is a, you know, big missing part of serverless. You know, we're starting to get, uh, we're starting to get some movement in that space, but uh, it's still very nascent. So part of the problem, right, is knowing that your Lambda code is not doing something that you don't expect it to, and you don't have any control over, you know, it's open to the internet by default. And so how do you know that someone has not replaced the code with something that's shoveling some of your traffic out to a third party? And, you know, so you can stick it in a VPC uh, and then watch the VPC flow logs. But if you're using AWS services, those all just go out to AWS IPs, which you can't differentiate between, you know, the IPs that S3 uses and the IP that any AWS customer uses. So if I was trying to be nefarious, I would just send them to an EC2 instance that I controlled and nobody would be any the wiser. Except you've got CloudTrail logs coming out of uh, the SDK calls and you might be able to reconcile VPC flow logs with CloudTrail logs and actually get some insight into the uh, the actions that your functions are actually taking, which I thought was a very clever idea for uh, tracking for security. I, I like that idea a lot. I think that's cool. I, I think you know that kind of touches on security, but you know DDoS kind of is a is a big concern of mine in this space that I don't think a lot of people yeah. are talking about. You, I mean, I. I I'm going to venture, I guess, and say you could probably bring down a fair number of, you know, serverless applications by just throwing a lot of requests at them. Um, not only because there's the account-wide limit of concurrent functions, uh, we've we've DDoSed ourselves in cases like that, but yeah. um, <laughs> there's also uh, the fact that you know the backend services sometimes that are not serverless behind these are not really expecting kind of the concurrency that they would otherwise. Uh, so a good example is Redis as a default connection limit of uh, 10,000 connections, which is normally not a problem uh, for most people because they're not usually running 10,000 Redis connections. But all of a sudden, when you get a big uh, spike in traffic and uh, you get you know, a few thousand Lambda functions spun up, uh, that's a different case. And so we have personally run into that as well. Yeah, and that's where, I mean, if you have API Gateway in front of it, the rate limiting there can be really useful. Yeah. But the the notion that, oh yeah, it's all scalable, definitely breaks down at certain points. We use AWS IoT extensively, which is another sort of serverless connection service. And that has uh, connections you can make to put records in Elasticsearch. But it turns out, you know, while it's easy and direct, uh, it doesn't scale well. And you once you're past a certain point, you have to put Kinesis Firehose in between there to make it work. And so there are, that's where, you know, some of the ideas of, you know, you just write code and it gets mapped into infrastructure. I feel like that's, there's always going to be an element of, at a certain point, you need more control and more understanding of what's happening underneath. And I'm not 100% convinced that you could build something that would really do it effectively yep. in an automated you know, way. You might be right. 
I definitely we can hope I definitely we can try. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I think um, I think that'll wrap up this episode. Um, ben, Steve, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, to our listeners, thank you so much. Um, the Community Driven uh, Serverless Podcast, Episode 2. Thanks for listening, and have a great day. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Mm -hmm.